So if I were to ask you today, whatever stage in life you're in, this doesn't matter whether you are a child because you have this question in your mind, you might not form it this way. If you're a teenager, if you're graduating from college, if you are a young adult, if you are people that have just started a family, maybe you're in the middle age years of your life, or maybe like me, you, you're looking... Um, you're looking at life from a different vantage point as age has continued to add to your life. And here's the question. I've asked this question of myself. Karen has asked me this question recently. Merle, what is your ambition now? I'm going to ask you that. What is your ambition in life now? It's a great question because it has a way of bringing clarity to thought. Because if you don't have an ambition, it's probably good that you would get one. And for many of us at various stages in our life, maybe the ambition was we were going to pursue a particular career. And, and uh, the ambition was to get the appropriate education so that people would believe that what we had to say was actually worth something because we had not only life experience, but we had educational experience. Or maybe for you, it was all about accomplishing that first great financial goal for you, whatever that was. Maybe it was, maybe it was purchasing a home, or maybe it was starting a business, or maybe it was saving X amount of dollars, or maybe it was investments. Whatever it might be, you had that as and ambition in your life. And then as you add years to your life and you start looking at the sunset as opposed to the sunrise, you start thinking about how is it that I want to leave my life? What is it that I would like my life to have said? What is the legacy? And so you start thinking about the ambition of what is your legacy? J. Vernon McGee put it like this, the highest desire that can possess any human heart is a longing to see God. How does that set with you? The highest value, the greatest desire that any human heart can possess is a longing to see God. I came across a, a, a quote from Augustine. He was one of the great church teachers and this particular quote has set with me, and it is something that I'm contemplating. He says, what would one search for when one has God before one's eyes? Great question. What would you search for when you've got God before your eyes? Or what would satisfy one who would not be satisfied with God? Now, that is a profound question. If you're not satisfied with God, if the longing to see God doesn't satisfy you, what in the world possibly could? Is there anything? He goes on to say, we wish to see God. Who does not have this desire? We strive to see God. We are on fire with the desire of seeing God. And I read that and that is what I long to have as my desire, to be on fire with the desire of seeing God. Is anybody else 
want that? That you want your life to be on fire with this desire to see God? Well, the desire to see God is part of what it means to live a flourishing life. One of the evidences that you and I are flourishing according to Jesus, not according to self-help books, not according to Tony Robbins, not according to anybody else. But one of the signs that you truly are flourishing in life is that you understand this desire to see God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus put it like this. Let's read it out loud together. It's Matthew 5, 8. Here we go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, that is a challenging promise. If, if I could, in just the amount of time that I have left, and it's very compressed, and so I'm going to compress what I want to, want to say. There's no way I can even touch all of what this means, but I want to give you an overview of what it means to be pure in heart so that you and I can experience this idea of seeing God. So in order to do that, let's do this. When the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, what does it mean by heart? Now, obviously, it doesn't mean the organ that is in your body that is essential for your physical life. Oftentimes, you'll hear people say that they have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. That doesn't mean that Jesus literally lives inside that muscle inside your chest. The heart in the Bible is this. It is the center. It's the center of thoughts, feelings, and will. Jesus says, blessed are you when the very center of your life, when that organizing, directing, thinking, feeling essence of who you are, you are blessed. You flourish when inside of you more than anything else is this desire to see God. So let's explore for a minute historically how the church has interpreted this whole idea of being pure in heart. And we're going we're gonna to ask the question four times, and I'm going to give you four answers. Are you ready? All right, ready in the chapel? Here we go. Who are the pure in heart? The pure in heart, first of all, are those who are cleansed of sin. They're cleansed of sin. The word translated pure is used in several different ways in the original language of the New Testament. One meaning is to simply be clean. If something is pure, it's been cleaned, like dishes that have been thoroughly washed or clothes that have been, that have been scrubbed. The Apostle John points out that we need some cleansing in our life when he says this, if we walk in the light as he himself, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. So the recognition of the church, the recognition of Jesus, the teaching of the entire Bible is that human beings do not have pure hearts. We have hearts that have been stained by sin and they need to be cleansed. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what keeps us from viewing life from the vantage point that God wants us to view it. So when you recognize that there is a stain in your life, when you recognize that there is 
unholiness there that you don't have the right to stand in the presence of God because of his holiness and your unholiness. Then you want to pray a prayer like King David prayed in Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you're right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David is saying from the very beginning, there is this bent in human beings towards sin. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins. Blot out all my guilt. God created me a a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Pure means to be clean. And sometimes it means to be purged of wrong. So it can be used for what is right. In particular, it was used of an army that had been purged or cleared of soldiers who were cowardly or weak or unwilling to fight. It would, be, it would be a pure army filled only with dedicated and trained soldiers for battle. In the same way, when you and I are pure in heart, we have been cleansed from sin and we are now good for what it is that God wants us to do. We like to say it like this, we have been saved from sin for the purpose of serving the will of God. So who are the pure in heart? The pure in heart are those who are cleansed of sin. Has there been a point in time in your life, even today, where you've recognized, you know what, my life is not right, there are things in my in my inner world that are sinful, that I've not confessed, that I've not been cleansed of. And maybe the reason it's difficult for me to sense the very presence of God in the world right now and in my life because there are things that need to be cleansed from me. The pure in heart, second of all, have a singular focus on God. To be pure in heart is to have a singular focus. The pure in heart flourish because they're freed from the tyranny of having a divided self. Soren Kierkegaard was a 19th century Danish theologian, Christian philosopher, cultural critic who famously said this, purity of heart is to will one thing. Now think for a minute about this how easy it is to flourish in your profession 
in your job when you've got a laser focus on what it is that the vision of your company is all about, when you understand with clarity the value that you are to organize your tasks around. Whenever there is clarity, whenever there is singular of focus, there is this opportunity to truly flourish because you are focused just on the one main thing. James put it like this in James 4.8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. The implication is this, people who are drawing near to God, those who have purity of heart in mind are individuals who have said, I am doing away with being a double-minded, divided, sold person. I'm going to draw near to God, and he's going to be my focus. Clarence Jordan put it like this. Now, when people attempt to live a double life spiritually, that is, to appear pure on the outside but are not pure in the heart, they are anything but blessed. Their conflicting loyalties make them wretched, confused, tense. And having to keep their eyes on two masters at once makes them cross-eyed. And their vision is so blurred that neither image is clear. A singular focus on God doesn't mean that you have to go to a monastery. To have a singular focus on God doesn't mean that, that you have to read your Bible all day and that's the only thing you do and you hum hymns and you pray all day. It doesn't mean that you become a minister. The best way to understand what does it mean to have a singular focus on God are the words of Jesus when he replied to a guy who wanted to know what is the ultimate reality? What is it that God is really looking for? And Jesus helped him get really clear. Jesus gave him a singular focus when he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So what does that look like? When you and I are in relationship with people, one of the things that we have to tell ourselves if we want to love them well is, am I first loving God with all I have? Because if I'm loving God with all I have and all I have, I'm in a position to have my heart rightly tuned to the people around me so that I can love them the way that I have been loved. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it means that in your particular profession, you want to do it with excellence, not because necessarily other people are looking, but first and foremost, because you want to honor God with how you go about doing your work. When it comes to your inner world and what you do with your thoughts and what you do with your feelings, a follower of Jesus says, how can I bring my thoughts and my feelings and my will in sync with what God would want in this circumstance and in this situation? What would Jesus do if he were in my place right here and right now? And sometimes the best way to get a singular focus is just to wake up in the morning and the first thing you do before you put your feet on the bed, 
Sometimes I do this. I simply recite Psalm 23 and remind myself before I get out of bed, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Therefore, I lack nothing today. Or maybe I start off with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who are in heaven, may your name be made holy today in my life. Or sometimes I pray, Jesus, I want what you want done today. Would you help me to do that? Before I put my feet on the floor, I just start off with that kind of thought where I'm saying, I want you to be the singular focus of my life. Why does Jesus say that the pure in heart are the ones who are going to see God? Why does he say that? I think I know. Because that's what they want more than anything else. And what you want more than anything else causes you to focus your life on that one thing. And I'll say it this way. If you don't want to see God, it's doubtful you will. If you really don't long to see God, it's doubtful that you will experience God in this life. It's those who long to see him or the ones that do. You're pure in heart when you are cleansed from sin, when you have a singular focus. You're pure in heart when you live a life of integrity and not hypocrisy. The word pure sometimes was used to describe something that was unadulterated or unmixed. So Pure gold is gold that has not got any kind of other metal in it. It's like milk that's not been, not been watered down. I came from a big family, and I know after having drank real milk, and my mama would water down the milk in order to make sure that the milk, the milk was spread. You would say that it's not pure milk. It is diluted. It's diluted milk. One way to interpret Matthew 5, 8 would be like this. Blessed is the person whose motives are always entirely unmixed. You flourish when there is integrity in your life, when inside of you is in sync with outside of you when what you profess is how you progress in life. It's not, there's not some duplicity there. It's not I do one thing here and I do another thing there. And it's not to say that you don't have a public self and a private self. It's saying that those two selves are aligned with each other. And it's not like they have no idea what the other is doing or thinking. People of integrity do the right things for the right reason. They are free from hypocrisy. They have, they have an authentic core inside of them. And in Jesus' day, there were many religious leaders who oozed hypocrisy while they preached integrity. They, they played a role and put on a mask, but the inside of their life didn't sync up with it. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is presenting a false face to God and to others. And if you're presenting a false face to God, you're not going to see God because 
you're not coming before God with authenticity. You're, you're, you're faking it. And we all know people who are hypocrites, right? We all know hypocrites. And we're convinced that it's them and not us, right? Most of us can spot a hypocrite except when we look in the mirror. Hypocrisy is always something that other people do. Isn't that true? I mean, we, we spot hypocrisy in other people, but then somebody points it out to us and we go, no, no. I'm not hypocritical, at least. No. Jesus confronted hypocrisy head on because he didn't want people to miss out on seeing God. He wanted them to have integrity in their life. He didn't want them to be divided. He didn't want them to be one thing religiously and another thing vocationally. He wanted them to be one. He said this. Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14 says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, Standing far off, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but he kept striking his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What's fascinating to me is that people of integrity aren't sinless people. People of integrity are ready to acknowledge the condition of their heart. Here's this tax collector, and, he, and he's, he's beating his chest. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He had full recognition how far he had fallen from a standard of perfection to even be acceptable in God's eyes. He recognized the condition of his heart. He didn't wear a mask before God. You understand the truth of Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? The pure in heart know the condition of their heart, and they know apart from God's grace and mercy, there is all kinds of stuff that can come from this heart. There's the old saying, except for the grace of God, there go I. That is absolutely true. Apart from God's mercy and grace, you and I can do all kinds of things. The pure in heart aren't sinless, but they are committed to sinning less and less and less. They're honest before God. They're honest about themselves. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, said when I, he was a child, he used to put on his best clothes and his best behavior on Sunday morning for God and for Christians around him. It never occurred to him as a child that the church was the place that you go to be honest. 
but the pure in heart know that we come before God cracks and all. We come before God recognizing that we are in need of his grace. So who are the pure in heart? The pure in heart are those who've been cleansed from sin, those who have a singular focus, those who are committed to integrity and not hypocrisy. And the great blessing is this, the pure in heart are those who will experience a great mystery. The great mystery is this, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Over the centuries, the church has called this the beatific vision. And simply what that means is the sight that makes you happy. The pure in heart will get to experience a sight that will make them happy, that will cause them to experience flourishing that will never end. Now, there's a sense in which what Jesus is saying is contradicted by other passages of Scripture because is it possible to see God and live? And the answer is no. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to experience God, and God said, you can't handle that, so I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a cliff, and I'm going to pass by, and you're just going to get kind of the tail end of my glory. Otherwise, you would die, because the, the essence of God is more than what you and I could possibly take in. There is this immensity and unapproachability to God that prevents human beings from gazing directly at the very being of God. All we can do is we can admire from a distance the glory surrounding God as we engage in worship, as we read scripture, as we pray. But John the apostle put it like this. God is visible in the person of Jesus. He says in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. God's invisible. The one and only Son who is himself God is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. God is saying, you can't look into the essence of my being, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to reveal myself to you in a way that you can apprehend. And you can understand without being burnt up. And although I've never seen Jesus, like John the Apostle saw Jesus, I have seen Jesus. And this is the witness of the church ever since Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We can see him in scriptures. We can see him in the lives that he has changed. We see him in how he's transforming our lives. We see him by faith. By faith, we are able to experience the invisible God in our lives. The pure in heart are enabled to understand the heart and the person of God in this life on this earth through the Spirit 
and through the Word. We're able to see, we're able to see God in that way. But ultimately, when it says we will see God, ultimately what it's saying is on the day of judgment, we will stand before God accepted into his presence because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is, this is the mystery to me. I mean, I've written down some things here, and, and they don't even come close to what I want to say about it. Only the pure in heart, only those forgiven through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will be able to enter into heaven and to enjoy the presence of God for eternity. And I don't know what you think about, but this will blow your mind. If you think about, we will, we will ever be growing in our ability to understand who God is because it will take eternity for us to understand God, and that won't even be enough time to understand him fully, his willingness to just continue to show us the inexhaustible beauty of who he is will last forever. And what I think I know about God right now is just like tasting the batter of a cake before it's been baked. I've just tasted a little bit of what it's going to blow my mind. John put it like this. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and we know what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And what do you do as a result of this? Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they're the ones that see, that will see God. I close with a statement from C.S., uh, from N.T. Wright. He says this, blessed are the pure in heart. How will people believe that? How will other people believe that to be pure in heart, to be cleansed from sin, to have a singular focus, to live a life of integrity and not hypocrisy. How will people know that, that that's a blessing, that that's what it means to flourish? How will people believe that unless we ourselves are worshiping the living God until our own hearts are set on fire and scorched through with his purity? Outside the walls of this church building are people who want to be able to see God. And we may be the only representations of God that they ever see. May we pray that God would cause us to burn bright, that we would burn with the desire to see God. If you could look inside your heart, what do you think that you would see? Recently, I've, uh, I've got the opportunity to do that. It's called a heart cath. And when they uh, do a heart uh, catheterization, they, they go inside your wrist right here, and they send a wire up into your heart, and they look for damage. They look for blockages. And while I was in the heart cath, I was able to see with medicated understanding uh, 
what it was that they were doing, and they showed me the places inside my heart that were blocked 100% and blocked 90% and showed me where they were going to put in the stent. And for me, it was absolutely fascinating to watch a doctor with something inside my heart and to see my heart beat and to see the blood vessels around my heart. And what if you were able to do that with the center of your will and your feelings and your emotions? Would you see blockage there? Would you see health there? Would you see inside of yourself a burning desire to want to see God and to do everything you can in your life by the grace of God to be in a position where you go, I'll get to see God in this life, in the, in the activity of God in other people. I'll be able to see God as I read scripture. I'll be able to see God, experience God as I pray when I am in silence. I'll be able to see the movement of God as he transforms others' lives. Is there such a desire? Do you have a fire with a desire to see God? If you do, Jesus' promise is that you will. Let's pray. God, you have created us, and you have put inside of us a desire for you. And you have been willing to promise us that when our hearts are pure, we're going to be able to see you. Ultimately, the day will come when we will see you face to face. But even in this life, until then, we will have the opportunity to experience you and to see your work in our lives and in the work in the world. Would you give us what we need to come honestly before you and confess our sins so that we can be cleansed? Would you give us the appropriate kind of focus in our life to say more than anything else, more than any other ambition in life, ultimately the driving force of our life is that we want to love you with everything that we have. Would you deliver us from being divided people? Would you deliver us from people who love the things of the world more than we love the things of God. Would you help us to be people who are whole, people who are integrated, where what we say matches what we do? And would you draw us with this beautiful vision of what it means to be able to see God? And I pray this in the name of Jesus, and we all said together, amen. What a great day, amen. God bless you. We'll look forward message. to seeing you next week. My Make sure and sign up for the Taking New Ground launch events. We really appreciate you joining us online. This time always goes by so quickly, and we'd love to connect with you even more. Would you do us a favor? Would you reach out and let us know how you're doing, what's going on in your life, and how we can come alongside to support you? The fastest way to connect is by visiting pleasantvalley.org connect. So wherever you are today, just know that we're so glad you joined us, that you are not alone, and that you are loved by God.